Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 13, Marshall MacDonald, Duke of Toronto. In reading the histories of Napoleon's men, it is odd to hear the name of a Scotsman in the company of so many French surnames. The personal life and career of Marshall MacDonald was just as odd, with more ups and downs than a roller coaster. His battle record was a mundane six wins and eight losses. But Napoleon and his successor, King Louis, kept Marshall MacDonald around because he spoke his mind, for better or for worse. Towards the end of Napoleon's career, the emperor was more and more surrounded with yes-men who just nodded their head in agreement. MacDonald was one of the few who spoke his mind. Indeed, King Louis referred to MacDonald as, quote, his outspokenness, end quote, for his frank statements. MacDonald's father was a Scottish soldier who backed the wrong horse, Bonnie Prince Charlie, in his ill-fated attempt to take the English throne in 1745. After this failure, his father fled Scotland to France. Later, Napoleon would remark that he wouldn't let MacDonald anywhere near the sound of bagpipes, jokingly fearing that he may switch sides. Etienne MacDonald was born in Sedan, France in 1765. In keeping with the motif of oddities, this is the same site where 105 years later, the French army would suffer one of its worst defeats ever, surrendering 100,000 troops, including Emperor Napoleon III, to the Prussian army. The future marshal was originally intended to become a priest by his father. Instead, the stoutly built MacDonald joined the Irish Legion of the French army in 1784. He later served in the Dutch Republic against Prussia, becoming a lieutenant in 1785. A few years later, he was married for the first time to Marie Constance Serral. She was 20, and the future marshal was 27. They would go on to have two daughters, Anne Charlotte and Adele Elizabeth. Sadly, his first wife died six years after their wedding day. In contrast to his personal life, his military career was on a steady trajectory upwards. His calm performance and integrity at the Battle of Jamap won his promotion to colonel. He worked diligently as an officer, gave his men clear orders, and trained them hard. When the French Revolution broke out, he took the side of the new order of things, but did not participate in the excesses such as the Reign of Terror. By 1794, he had been promoted to General of Division, where he served under General Moreau. His bond to Moreau was to cost him later in the Consulate and Empire of Napoleon. In 1798, he succeeded General Saint-Cyr as commander of Rome. With just 5,000 troops, he fought a successful campaign against 40,000 Neapolitan insurgents. He defeated the Austrian General Mack in 1798, the same General Mack who would be surrounded and captured by Napoleon seven years later. In March 1799, 
the undefeated Russian general Suvorov invaded Italy with a Austrian-Russian force and quickly defeated General Moreau at Cassano. With Napoleon and the elite of the French army away in Egypt, the Allied forces in Europe attempted to reconquer their former Italian holdings. In an effort to help his friend Moreau, MacDonald rashly attacked Suvorov and was thrashed at the three-day Battle of Trebia. MacDonald suffered 16,000 casualties versus only 5,000 for the opposing forces. On his return to Paris, he assisted Napoleon's coup d'etat by controlling Versailles and the approaches to Paris. He was rewarded with an independent command during the Marengo campaign in 1800. As Napoleon was making his celebrated main thrust over the Alps to fall upon the Austrians, General MacDonald took a smaller force through a different pass near Lake Como. To trek through Switzerland and Italy is an impressive feat, especially during the dead of winter. However, MacDonald lost several hundred men due to avalanches. One of MacDonald's staff, Count Dumas, marveled at his efficiency in this enterprise, saying, quote, Prompt resolution, much boldness, and perseverance under the most trying circumstances are the principal traits of which General MacDonald manifested in this campaign. End quote. In 1802, the Marshal married for a second time to Felicity de Montalon, who was the widow of General Joubert, who was killed in battle. This was to be another unlucky union for MacDonald. She gave birth, MacDonald's third daughter, in 1803. Tragically, his new bride died a year later at the young age of 24. Around this time, he was appointed as ambassador to Denmark, but his direct manner and brutal honesty didn't suit a career as a diplomat. He was later recalled and cast under a cloud of suspicion after his friend and former commander Moreau was implicated in assassination attempts against Napoleon. It was also during this time that MacDonald began a long, not-so-secret romantic affair with Napoleon's sister, Pauline. This isn't a good way to ingratiate yourself to your emperor. For a number of reasons, including the last one, MacDonald was not included in the original 1804 list of marshals of the empire. He retired to his estate and resigned himself to an early retirement knowing that he was being watched by Napoleon's secret police. The most difficult part was seeing the success of the Grand Armée across the continent, to which MacDonald said, quote, My military ardor blazed up at the accounts of every fresh victory, end quote. But in 1809, Napoleon called up the old veteran from the bench. There was a serious shortage of experienced commanders to govern the wide spread of French armies stationed in Spain, Poland, Germany, and Italy. With only one day of notice, MacDonald's talents were needed in Italy as a military advisor and tutor to Napoleon's stepson, Prince Eugene. Prince Eugene was Viceroy of Italy and had suffered a recent defeat against the Austrians. As one French historian stated on Eugene's new advisor, quote, MacDonald, one of the 
most intrepid men that has ever graced our army, was received with confidence by the soldiers. Prince Eugene, as modest as he was discreet, never failed to consult him on all important occasions and always had reason to be satisfied with his counsels." End quote. Together, the two men were a powerful combination against the Austrians in Italy. At the Battle of Piave River and the Battle of Raab, Eugene won large battles against the Austrians, with MacDonald instilling order and discipline in his troops. The two would also make a decisive effort at the epic Battle of Wagram. In July of 1809, Napoleon called in all reinforcements in the struggle against Austria. After suffering his first setback in a decade at the Battle of Aspern-Essling, Napoleon needed MacDonald and Eugene on the scene to fight against Austria's best general, Archduke Charles. It was going to be a heavyweight fight. 155,000 of Napoleon's troops versus 142,000 soldiers under Archduke Charles. At the second day of the battle, when the emperor learned that his left wing was being driven in by the Austrians, he ordered MacDonald and Eugene's troops to counterattack the enemy's center. MacDonald deployed his men as if on parade drill, eight battalions marching in the front line. Behind them, he positioned the remaining 15 battalions in two solid columns along the sides and closed the rear of this immense hollow rectangle of infantry with General Nansuti's cavalry. Covered by the fire of a hundred guns, he hurled this large body of 8,000 troops against the Austrians. And in spite of huge losses from the enemy's artillery, the onslaught of MacDonald completely checked the Austrian advance. If the cavalry of the Imperial Guard had only charged home the enemy at MacDonald's order, the Austrians would have been driven off the field in a complete rout. Commanding the Guard Cavalry was General Walther, who was only authorized to attack at the command of two people, Napoleon and Marshal Bessier. Wagram was a massive battlefield, and the Emperor could not be found. Marshal Bessier was wounded earlier in a cavalry charge and carried away from the field, so the critical moment for a rout slipped away. The Austrians were able to retreat in good order. A furious MacDonald reprimanded General Walther, saying, quote, Why in the world didn't you charge the enemy when the decisive moment came? End quote. Although unsupported, MacDonald's column continued putting a large dent into the Austrian lines, taking thousands of prisoners and ten cannons. Napoleon saw MacDonald's success from afar, exclaiming to his staff, quote, What a brave man! End quote. For its efforts, MacDonald's corps suffered heavy casualties, with only 1,500 able-bodied men remaining of the original 8,000. On the next morning, the hero of Bagram was tracked down by the emperor. Napoleon embraced him and said, quote, You have behaved valiantly and have rendered me the greatest services throughout the entire campaign. On the battlefield of your glory, where I owe you so large a share of yesterday's success, I make you a Marshal of France. You have long deserved it. End quote. Napoleon went on to say, let us be friends. To which the new Marshal replied, quote, yes, till death. End quote. 
After years of disgrace, for him to become the man of the hour after the victory at Vagram fits perfectly with his odd career. It's almost like Robert Redford in the movie The Natural coming off the bench as a middle-aged baseball player and hitting a legendary home run to seal the victory. A month after Vagram, McDonald was made Duke of Toronto and given an annual pension of 60,000 francs per year. Toronto is a town on the heel of Italy. In 1810, he was sent to Spain to relieve Marshal Augereau of command. Despised by MacDonald, the famously greedy Augereau had been ruling the province with extreme violence and mass hangings to avenge any attack on French forces. Catalonian patriots had even crossed the border into France and attacked a small town there. Marshal MacDonald tried a different tact, composed of conciliatory measures and fostering goodwill toward the inhabitants. In doing this, he also avoided the unnecessary bloodletting of his troops in large battles. He did win a battle at Berbera and captured the fortress of Figueras, but failed to pacify the province of Catalonia. He later fell ill with gout and was recalled to Paris after 16 months in country. This was fine with MacDonald, who believed there was no honor to be won in Spain. Oddly enough, MacDonald's successor was General Suchet, who would win his marshal's baton in the same area of Spain that MacDonald had failed. In the 1812 invasion of Russia, MacDonald was assigned to command a corps on the northern flank with the goal of occupying the Baltic city of Riga. After a six-month siege, he was unsuccessful. Of his 31,000 troops, he had a large contingent of Prussians serving reluctantly under him and the French army. During the retreat back from Russia, the Prussian troops under General York made a separate armistice with the Russians. MacDonald was aghast, calling this, quote, an act of treachery unparalleled in history, end quote. Napoleon received MacDonald coldly after this event, believing the Prussians deserted MacDonald because he treated them badly. This was not the case. MacDonald's Polish and Westphalian troops still served him loyally. Regardless, Napoleon kept MacDonald employed at the front lines. During the following year of 1813, MacDonald was consistently inconsistent. He got some payback against the Prussians, defeating General York at Merseburg. He also performed well in the battles of Lutzen and Bautzen under Napoleon's watchful eye. However, when the emperor left him in command to check the Prussian general Blücher, disaster struck. While Napoleon hurried off to secure a win at Dresden, MacDonald was his own worst enemy. In August of 1813, MacDonald made an aggressive move to cross the Katzbach River and attack the Prussians under Blücher's command. It was to be a terrible decision. He attempted a combined arms frontal attack to dislodge the Prussians. Unfortunately, the rain came down in buckets and the French cannons became embedded in the mud. The infantry could not fire their muskets and the cavalry could not charge their horses. The Prussians launched a devastating bayonet charge 
and a sloppy retreat alone saved the French army from annihilation. MacDonald lost 12,000 men killed, with many of them drowning in the river to escape, and another 15,000 were captured. Later, in 1813, MacDonald fought in the massive Battle of Nations at Leipzig. He performed well early in the battle, but on the third day, disaster struck. In the midst of the action, MacDonald was deserted by all the Hessian troops under his command. Accordingly, the marshal retreated with the remnants of his corps to the Ulster River, only to find the bridge had been blown prematurely. He was determined not to become a prisoner in the hands of the enemy, so he jumped into the river on his horse. He was more fortunate, however, than Prince Poniatowski, as MacDonald managed to safely cross the river. Once across, he heard the terrible cries from his drowning troops, quote, Marshal, save your soldiers, save your children, end quote. As MacDonald wrote in his memoirs, those words were to echo in his ears and traumatize him forever. But there was nothing that could be done, and many of his soldiers drowned in the river. Leipzig cost Napoleon almost 70,000 soldiers. The battle was so deadly that the town officials were still burying bodies one year later. After the battle, MacDonald helped the emperor and the army regain its composure and brush aside a Bavarian force under General Reed that tried to cut off the retreating army. In 1814, MacDonald continued his stalwart service to the emperor, but kept delivering his frank opinions on the deteriorating situation, which shocked Napoleon's staff that anyone would dare speak his mind like that. Finally, at Fontainebleau, after the Allied armies had entered Paris, MacDonald and Marshal Ney insisted that the emperor abdicate to save the army and France. MacDonald saying, quote, we have decided to make an end of this, end quote. Marshal Ney added, the army will not march, end quote. Napoleon hesitated and then responded, quote, the army will obey me, end quote. To which Marshal Ney replied, quote, the army will obey its chiefs, end quote. At this point, Napoleon saw the marshals were united in their defiance and agreed to step down from his throne. MacDonald, Ney, and General Collincourt helped negotiate the final surrender. After the agreement was signed, MacDonald met with Napoleon for the last time. The marshal was presented with the sword of Murad Bey that Napoleon had won in Egypt. The two men embraced, and Napoleon stated, quote, I have loaded with favors many others who have now deserted and abandoned me. You, who owe me nothing, have remained faithful and I appreciate your loyalty too late. I sincerely regret that I am now in a position in which I can only provide my gratitude by words." End quote. As King Louis XVIII returned, MacDonald swore loyalty to him. Even when Napoleon escaped from Elba, he kept his oath to the king. He even tried to set up troops to stop Napoleon's return to Paris. But once he heard the overwhelming sound of Vive l'Empereur, in town after town, MacDonald beat a hasty retreat with the king across the border to the safety of Belgium. After Napoleon's final defeat at Waterloo, 
the king ordered MacDonald to oversee the disbanding of the imperial army. No better man could have been assigned this difficult task. It required a delicate but firm hand to send home these proud soldiers who conquered every capital from Lisbon to Moscow. He summoned all officers and generals on the prescribed list that were wanted by the king's royalist followers. Penalties for treason included court-martials, imprisonment, and in some cases, death. MacDonald told all on the list to make themselves scarce in countries abroad. When the king's police arrived in the camp to arrest the prescribed, he locked the royal deputies up all night, alleging that it was to protect them from the infuriated soldiers. By morning, all of the condemned officers on the prescribed list had mysteriously disappeared to safety in other countries. By October 1815, most of the imperial army had been quietly disbanded. The marshal married for a third time in 1821 to Ernestine Therese, who bore him a son three years later. The son, Alexander Louis-Marie MacDonald, became the second Duke of Toronto. Alas, this wife died six months after giving birth to their son. Also in 1825, MacDonald visited his ancestral home in Scotland to learn more about his family roots. He was surprised by the warm welcome he received in the country of his former enemies. Marshal Soult also received a hearty appreciation during his visit at the coronation of Queen Victoria in 1838. Two years later, in 1840, the proud marshal finally passed away at the age of 75. His high points were many. In Italy, tutoring Prince Eugene, leading the decisive assault at Vagram, along with being the only marshal to receive his baton on the battlefield. And finally, his protection of prescribed officers against the white terror after Napoleon's downfall. His low points were just as many his loss at Trebia against Suvorov, five years of disgrace, his loss against Blücher at Katzbach, losing so many men to drowning in the Ulster River after Leipzig, and his failure to stop Napoleon from reclaiming the throne. In summarizing MacDonald's talents, author John Elting states, quote, under the emperor's direct command, he could hit hard, Left to himself, he was always a day late, end quote. I agree with this point. It is one thing to attack the enemy, but it is quite another to attack at just the right moment. Some marshals, like Murat and Messina, had an innate sense of when to launch a cavalry or infantry attack. Others, like Davu or Lan, learned when to attack over time. Napoleon said of MacDonald, quote, MacDonald was good and brave, but unlucky, end quote. On reviewing his career, a 1911 encyclopedia states, quote, MacDonald had none of that military genius that distinguished Davu, Massena, and Lang, nor of that military science conspicuous in Marmont and Saint-Cyr, but his campaign in Switzerland gives him a rank far superior to such mere generals of division as Oudinot and Dupont.
This capacity for independent command made Napoleon, in spite of his defeats at Trebia and the Battle of Katzbach, trust him with large commands till the end of his career. As a man, his character cannot be spoken of too highly. No stain of cruelty or faithlessness rests on him. End quote. I believe we can end on this point. Join us next time when we lean into one of the most controversial commanders of the Waterloo Campaign, Marshal Grouchy. Thanks for listening.